and welcome to the Quality of Being podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Ferris. Today, my guest is John Slattery. John is a bioregional herbalist based in Arizona who has very much followed an unconventional, unscripted path to where he is today. As a teacher, he encourages us to develop our own relationships with plants and place, and not to rely too heavily on what someone else tells us a plant may be good for. The focus of this podcast is not to talk too much about what the person does, but more about their experiences, how they create a life that is fulfilling and purposeful, and more of the behind-the-scenes perspective on what it means to them to be. In our culture, we tend to value external measures of success, such as fame, wealth, and status. But I'm more curious about creating a life that is meaningful and purposeful and cultivating that feeling from within. So then what does that actually feel like and look like? And what do our outward actions look like when we're living from that place, rather than solely chasing an external goal? There's a lot of really great wisdom here, so I hope you enjoy my conversation with John Slattery. I guess my first question is just how did you get on the path that you're on now? Yeah, it was certainly unconventional, um, not preordained or requested even by my level of awareness at that time, but uh, I could see now looking back that there was a, a general movement in that direction, kind of like how the back of the herd doesn't really know where they're going until they're already going there. That's, that's where I was at at that time. And although I was cognizant of an interest in herbal medicine as early as my um, early to mid-20s, I really tried hard at times to get away from it, to find something else. Maybe a little more honest answer is that it, there were other interests of mine, but whenever I pursued a different track, or tried to leave it alone and go somewhere else, inevitably, somewhere down the road, there it was popped up again. Hmm. And I could acknowledge it, maybe have a little fun with it, show some interest, and then leave it alone, walk away from it, and then there it was again. So it's like no matter which direction I turned, there it was waiting for me, but progressively more relevant and powerful were the messages and in turn the acquaintances that I made as I went, as I went forward. And uh, I say unconventional really because it didn't have anything to do with, with any books or uh, certainly programs or classes that I didn't, frankly, I didn't even know such a thing existed at the time. Um, so I didn't even know to look for it. To be a professional herbalist. Yeah. To, to, to be trained as an herbalist. In any shape or form, uh, professional or family, community, herbalist, whatever, just wasn't on my radar. I was aware that there were Chinese herbalists, vaguely, and that's actually where I began studying, was from a book on, on Chinese herbs. And at the time, I lived um, not too far from a Chinatown in Manhattan. So I would just venture there on my own and try to find things that were in the book that seemed attractive to me or that I was curious about that I wanted to try for myself, whether as a tea or in many cases cooked into the foods that they were uh, recommending or there were recipes for in this book. Um, mm -hmm. That was very unusual, very foreign to me, the flavors and just the idea of, of cooking with herbs in that way. But 
nonetheless, uh, looking back, there was something familiar about it too, because I didn't need anyone urging me on to do it or setting any example. I just read it in a book and went out and found it. So some uh, a switch had begun to turn on in me at that time. But fast forward several years, and I found myself in Central America, uh, Mexico and Guatemala, and Guatemala primarily, um, and really leaving, uh, seeking to leave behind a lot of who I thought I was or where I came from, our culture, so much of it. As I was coming to a place of self-awareness, who am I, where do I come from, I was also in a period of deconstruction and rejection, getting away from all of that. And so I left this country with very limited uh, belongings left to my person and didn't really expect to come back. But on that, on that journey, uh, that's when it really amped up and I continued to meet people who not only had an interest in plants, but were reflecting that back to me as if they already knew and understood that not just that I had an interest, but that I had a great proclivity for that or an inherent ability to work with plants. In fact, I was just editing uh, some, some older blog posts on my new website today going over some of these stories. Um, when I was traveling in Guatemala, and I was invited. Uh, I made the acquaintance of a young Guatemalan man at the time. I was staying in this in this building that also served as a um, uh, Spanish uh, language school. And I had seen there they had some plant pressings on just plain white cardboard and, and uh, plastic wrapped over them. And it had the a uh, scientific name, I believe, uh, Spanish, and a mom, uh, which was the local dialect. Uh, so that intrigued me, and I, I just kind of filed it away. And uh, I I'd had I'd met this young man on a few occasions, and then this, this most recent time, he had then invited me to this ceremony that they were going to be hosting that night, just stone's throw from where I was staying. And so I showed up, and they were already arranged in a circle. It's very intimate, humble setting. Uh, they had arranged uh, an altar of sorts with a fire, a very small fire, painted rocks indicating the the um, four directions. And uh, I kind of sat in right as they're about to begin. So I essentially witnessed this ceremony. Um, evidently, as as an outsider, I wasn't fully included in all the activities that they were doing, this this group of um, predominantly non-Guatemalan people. In fact, the one person that was Guatemalan was the young man that invited me, and everyone else was from hmm. North America, Europe, Israel. Um, I can, I can feel, flesh that out a bit more in a moment, but uh, as they finished uh, the ceremony, which he was passing eggs over everyone except for me, there was this... Uh, this gentleman who was on the uh, the eastern, if I'm remembering the directions correctly, eastern edge of the circle, and I hadn't seen him yet because his head was covered by a red cloth throughout the entire time from the moment I walked up to this moment just as it ended. And then suddenly he flipped the cloth off and his arm extended out in my direction, pointing at me with his index finger, and my heart sank. I immediately felt like I had done something wrong. 
and I was mm-hmm. guilty. You know, I was guilty of some some uh, transgression or something. What did I? I couldn't imagine what I did wrong, but I like swallowed a rock there for a second. And as soon as his his finger went up, he said, "You, I know you. We know each other. We've been together in previous lifetimes. You work with plants." We were both healers. We come from the Pleiades. I work with, I forget what he was talking about, what he does. He mentioned what he does briefly. And he said, and you work with plants. And he further embellished on that to kind of describe my role and not just somebody who had a lot of information about plants, but had a, a living, energetic relationship with plants. And that, you know, it's, it's hard for me to say I know exactly the words that he used at that time, but the impression, it's like I'm translating over time and interpreting the impression from his words at the very least. And that I, I understood how to bring people to certain plants so that they could heal with them, whether they ingest them or not, because of an energetic resonance. And as, mm. as crazy as all of that sounded at the time, there was a a part of my, the programmed, you know, conditioned part of my mind to really you know, put that into a place of judgment, isolate it and keep it away at a distance. There was a part that I could recognize also that, that sat with me. And it felt like a piece of me or a part of me in a way that I, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, deny. And so what ensued from that is, uh, in the next, couple weeks or so when I was spending time around these people is they were all looking to me as the herbalist. And I'm thinking, hmm. I don't know that much. <laughs> you know, well, John, what do you do with this? Or I have this problem. And they're like, uh, you know, and, but their look in their eyes is like they knew more than I did. Like they, they believed in me in a way that I didn't yet believe in myself. So that was, um, it was a foundational pivot point for me and really, accepting this part of myself i didn't fully by any means at that time but the impression Mm -hmm. that it made gradually grew on me what did it feel like in that moment to be called out and to like to be made to accept your identity i think that was probably what was most frightening about it and i think that was that Mm -hmm. was why you know i was i was afraid and i felt guilty um because mm-hmm. I had been seen, almost like it's guilty of not covering mm-hmm. myself up well enough. Like I, I went into a situation not ready for this. Mm-hmm. After you know spending a great deal of my life really trying to be invisible, you know, trying to hide myself and, and not be seen. So that mm-hmm. you know showed me that there was just no hiding in this scenario, and. Um, under the circumstances in which I was living there, the place that it was in the time, a lot of things fortuitous, you might say, or at least potent factors came together that really brought this to a head for me really quickly to the point where I felt as capable and as connected as, as I recall being. And, um, you know, as if I could hear the mountain speaks, the mountains speak to me. And hear animals that don't even live there now, but once existed on that land, like following on their pathways and 
it's, it's hard, hard to fully articulate, but there was a, a sense of knowing and a vitality experience at the same time that was uh, completely unusual to me at that time. It sounds like your sense of yourself or your like spatial awareness just sort of like amplified when you're trying to like, you know, keep it in and all of a sudden you're, you're aware that you're, you're greater than your, what you physically occupy. It did um, seem to unlock a great deal of vitality within mm -hmm. me. But, you know, I was still quite green and naive and, and unaware of myself that, um, you know, it was not yet tempered. Mm -hmm. And so there was, there was much, much learning to be done from that point. But it was, I think it was, it was looking back, I have tremendous gratitude for those experiences as the gifts that they were to give me an insight that I had not, if it was available to me, I had certainly not yet seen or experienced. But even looking back from this distance, I can still recognize it for the potency that it held and, and many ways that I can go back to. Not, I certainly have over the past couple decades at times of doubt and feeling unsure about my path to reconnect with those as anchor points in the past as yeah as as unusual and as fleeting as they were at that time they were significant anchor points nonetheless what do you make of it now now that you've been practicing herbalism for a long time can you look back on that and and like feel differently or does it like resonate more is that you know is the fear replaced by like a different feeling of alignment well I, I would say it's certainly i what i began to practice several years ago maybe five or six years ago was reflecting on it in terms of all of the education that was inherent in those experiences that has been unwinding and revealing itself over mm. time and that correlates with with you know certainly other things i've learned from mentors and, and elders in my life that even when we don't think we're learning something, when we're in the presence of a true teacher, whether that's an individual, a scenario, a place on the earth, you know, there's there are things that are coming to us, even unspoken, that are, you could argue, intrinsically meant for us, or at least have a, a tremendous potency for us that in time we will come to understand. Mm. And I feel that's the case with me for this because it was really shaping me or if not shaping me, certainly awakening something in me that related to these experiences that maybe didn't have, I can't recall any other sorts of experiences that really resonated like this for me. Mm -hmm. And through that resonance is as if it, it woke something up that I could continue to come back to. Now it's like, okay, now I know it's here as a place within myself. And I immediately began that exploration and expanded it, have, have continued to expand it all these years. But there were, you could say, foundational principles or you know, essential teachings that came to me at that time that even if I was oblivious to the teachings at the time, I at least had enough wherewithal to recall those experiences mm -hmm. over time and, and draw out the lessons from them. 
So that's the value is only has only grown, mm-hmm. but I can't say that I saw the value so clearly at the time. Mm-hmm. It was it, exceptionally formative, not that not in that I said uh, to myself, "Okay, I'm going to be an herbalist <laughs> now. It's it's settled." No, that that still took a while, and I still was finding ways to look somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that 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 sort of experience that I tried to describe first off about turning a different direction and then there's the herbalism again turning a different direction there it is again there's a combination of me listening and following and either consciously or unconsciously trying to turn away from it simultaneously that it it was a pretty uh, you know calamitous is not quite the word but it was you know dynamic and dramatic at times in the swings of where I was going and what I was doing. But as I look back, you know, that I feel like that was more of just coming from within myself mm-hmm. and how I was choosing to react or respond to these scenarios. But the, my magnetic connection to this path was, was there. Mm-hmm. I just really hadn't resigned myself. To, I hadn't acquiesced or accepted it yet. What did it feel like when you did accept it? It's hard to pinpoint a moment, but I can go back at least 10 years ago, um, which is almost 10 years after those experiences, to say that I was still entertaining doubts at times Mm -hmm. because of the difficulty of the path at times. But um, because I persisted for so long there was definitely moments of you know fulfillment mm-hmm. and you know, recognizing the beauty in the choices that i made to pursue things even when it was difficult and then to connect with someone and to see something connect with them in their hearts and what i'm sharing or even them relating to me an experience their experience with an herb that i may have introduced them to you know all those those tiny moments of of feeling connected, not just to the plants but to the people also. Um, you know, that that helped me to understand. Yes, this is this is the right path. That would always allow me to take a deep breath and say, "Okay, the troubles are going to be there. Mm-hmm. Let's let's just pick it up and, and keep moving along." That's really cool. I I can relate so much in so many different ways, but it often reminds me of like trying to learn something new when, uh, I like this thing, but I don't know what direction it's going in. And then like, you know, one day it clicks on and you just, you're kind of in the groove and it's like, Oh yeah, this is what I'm looking for. And so it keeps you kind of, uh, or allows you to trust a little bit more in the process until you can get to more of that, I guess. That's what it makes me think of. Yeah. Well, I had spent so much time resisting, as I mentioned, even to the idea of scientific names. I, I remember when I first settled in Tucson, it was uh, tempting to learn about the plants here. And I refused that. I remember people telling me scientific names and I would just make jokes about them, like to put it off. I, I didn't I didn't even want to go there because of you know the way that I had been raised i feel like i was raised the second time in my 20s working with these indigenous people in mexico and guatemala and brazil 
that showed me a new way of being and not just a new way of being, but being from someplace. Not just because that's where your address is or, you know, you know, that's the hospital where you were born is located, but there's a relationship with the place. You know, through stories, through knowledge of plants, ancestral migrations, whatever it may be, but I could I could see that before me that these people had you know, a love for the place that they were from through their relationship with it. And, and that was something that was really, really new to me. And I felt, as a consequence, sort of orphaned. Not really having that myself for where I, where I grew up. So that, that framed things in a whole new way for me that I now had to like hmm. reconcile myself to being a child again. Like I need, if I'm going to ever have this relationship, I have to step back and move into this place of being a child so I can really feel I can feel the connection to this place and so in some regards I'm really glad that I rejected you know the scientific approach immediately because I see how I could have just lost right over that but fortunately from you know from the relationships that I had with indigenous people who the way that they spoke about the plants and just their demeanor. Again, it's, it's things that weren't spoken to me directly in terms of teachings or lessons, but that just through being in their presence and listening and observing, they were conveying things of really tremendous import to me, for me and for where I was at and also for where I was going. And I wouldn't doubt that most, if not all, of these people that mm. shared with me in that way really saw that within me. Because of the, I wasn't just the guy there asking them questions and, you know, quote, picking their brain. It was a, about two people being together. I was recognizing them, you know, as like they were opening these portals for me. And I saw that with awe and to the best of my ability at that time, some humility. And I think they saw that within me and were responding in kind mm -hmm. simply because we're both human beings and, and they probably understood, I would, I would guess from, from their own upbringing, you know, what, what that's like being mm -hmm. new to it, being mm -hmm. green, being, maybe they saw me as a five-year-old. <laughs> And I wouldn't doubt it by some of the laughs that I got at that. But, you know, I see that now even more clearly in the past several years, you know, as I take people out into the wilderness and we work with plants and I listen and I feel like I'm guided by the plants in the mm. same way that these people once guided. It's almost like they were the bridge to give me the confidence from the human realm so that I could carry that over with me into the plants. The plants were ready mm -hmm. for me, of course, right from the beginning, but I wasn't. I had too many doubts. I had too many judgments. Essentially, there were too many walls between mm -hmm. my heart and what the plants had to offer. And now as I go out and intentionally seek to connect with plants in this way, I can see how we as humans you know, really need to 
bring ourselves back to that place of being five years old again, where we don't have those walls already in place. We're not thinking about mm -hmm. survival. We're just simply being. And by being, then we can absorb what's present. Whether we can articulate it or not is, is another thing and, and perhaps totally irrelevant. But just, you know, we have to experience it. That's really great. Before we can know it. Um, I'm wondering, um, like when we spoke the other day, you talked about going to Central America and that allowing you a way to kind of like um, the space to get away from your culture to kind of deprogram and also learn a new way of being like you're just describing. Um, and I'm wondering how, you know, if you think that that kind of experience is necessary to get away to some degree, or can we practice this, you know, childlike state of being where we're just being, can we do that on a regular basis to, to mm -hmm. um, incorporate that more into our lives? Or how do you see that? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I'm definitely mm -hmm. not one to advocate that you have to do anything. But I know, just speaking for myself for a moment, at that time, I was greatly compelled to do so. I just didn't see another way, frankly. And it was a very, very tumultuous time for me. I was uh, in my late 20s, approaching Saturn return, and everything was upending within me. There was a great, great deal of, of turmoil within. And uh, I at least, I guess, had the presence mm -hmm. of mind to say, let's clear the space so that I can break things down. And I invited certain things into my space, practices, um, and so forth that I believe helped facilitate that. At the time, I had a very consistent yoga practice of about two and a half to three hours every morning, a vigorous uh, Ashtanga yoga practice coupled with meditation. Um, I'd also been introduced to uh, psilocybin mushrooms while traveling in Mexico, so that opened some doorways as well, which I think mentally had the greatest impact in seeing the contrast between where I come from, you know, what culture I was raised in, and what else exists for humankind. Kind of seeing, parting that veil to an extent, to being able to reflect clearly on, on myself and where, where I came from. That really began to, once I allowed that crack in, it really started to spread things open considerably. Um, so I think, frankly, mm -hmm. you know, what I've observed is some people do need that. They certainly do need that. Others, uh, and maybe this is, you know, it's definitely relevant to the times. I would say that, you know, the younger you look at, of people alive right now, it's, it seems to me that the vast majority of the youngest people, let's say 20 and younger, tend to be more sensitive and that, you know, putting them in extreme circumstances may not be suitable for their optimal well-being. Um, I wouldn't even want to do most of the things that I did at that time now, knowing what I know. But at the time, like, you know, my, my ignorance really helped me have a great deal of courage that I don't know if I'd hmm. necessarily you know, step forward with right now. But yes, back to your 
point more specifically, I do feel that people can go to that place within themselves, wherever they are, at any time, but one needs mm-hmm. the example more often than not, or at least the guidance to show them the way. Um, the guidance for me, as I've been trying to articulate, has come primarily from nature and in some very um, important yet subtle ways from indigenous people from the Americas, from the Southwest all the way down, Southwest U.S. all the way down into Brazil. There's people I can recall who were there for me at the right time on my path to help show me this, these particular qualities of being. That now I had a reference from a living human being that stood the test you know, from multiple perspectives that didn't react to me, what showed their own humanness to me, gave me insights and hope reflected, you know, positivity, kindness, and beauty back to me without overemphasizing it, all in ways that, you know, really allayed my bullshit detector. There wasn't, there wasn't any cause for Mm. me to doubt these people. And further still, one of the most important things for me was that they didn't give me something to rebel against, which I was given throughout my entire youth. It was really easy for me to do. What do you mean by that? When there's something to rebel against, now I have something to dig my teeth into. Like a rule or something? Could Yeah, could be anything. A re- yeah, a rule, regulation, discipline of some sort. In a different manner of speaking, I experienced these people being in a place of acceptance of me, for me. With, you know, barring any, you know, overtly disrespectful acts that I may have committed, which I didn't seem that I did because that, you know, they didn't respond to me in that way. But whatever my behavior had evoked, you know, it was all acceptable to them and to the extent that they, they didn't try to force me in another direction or tell me I should be doing this or I should be doing that or, you know, respond to me with some degree of displeasure. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, put me in a place of ease that I was able to really begin to reflect upon myself rather than having my energy directed outwards towards what I needed to fight against. So it was a, it was a neutralizing of, of energies that mm-hmm. I've, I experienced the net benefit of. Your mind can't argue with that if it's just like an invitation to, to try something out versus you must do this. Or it's that. like the the Tai Chi master or whatever type of martial arts master where you put all your effort into it and it's like you're punching a cloud. There's nothing there. Hmm. And then you start, what's going, you know, <laughs> the, the insightful student may begin to reflect upon themselves, which is, I feel, the intent of the lesson. And, and that's, that's what I got. So it really, it kicked off. Um, it kicked off years, decades of self-reflection in a way that um, Mm. I hadn't really been able to align myself with yet that was non-aggressive, not aggressive towards myself primarily. Mm -hmm. But, you know, by again, that example of being accepting, it gave me something to, to ponder as like, could I possibly be that with myself? That's a bit of a tangent, I think, from what you were 
what you're asking, but nonetheless, it was a, it was an integral part of this experience of me getting away and getting into a new cultural framework that showed me something that I hadn't been exposed to. Yeah. Well, it also made me think like going back to saying like being reborn and being a child again, you know, having those people there kind of nurture you in that way. It's like you, you were a child and they could be kind of like a parent in, in that dynamic to allow you to be in a different way, which is really sweet. If I can allow my rational mind to take a distant back seat from all of this and just feel my way into the experience, there's something very dreamlike and beautiful about, about what I experienced. You know, if I can just allow myself to fall into that, it's not just a, a haphazard collection of events and circumstantial experiences. I feel like it was fully orchestrated, intimately networked experience in which I had no idea what was going on at the time, but yet it was, and despite all the the turmoil and, and difficulty that I experienced internally, there was a great deal of beauty around me passing this transformation that again, I could only really begin to appreciate in hindsight, in retrospect. And were the experiences not so true and authentic and, and non-aggressive in nature, it would have been more difficult for me based on my programming and patterning to really reflect on them wholly. Meaning I could easily pick out something that was wrong, focus on that judgment, and then annihilate all the rest of it. But because that wasn't present, it allowed me to learn that receptivity and fully take it in, which was not just their actions, but was reflecting on myself. Mm-hmm. So it was a tremendous gift that came to me. Yeah, And I do recognize the effort that I put forward. I, what I did was exceptional in, in giving everything up, leaving everything behind to go do that. I remember the first night that I left on that journey and I I cried with my head in my hands, not knowing what I'm doing or what I'm getting myself into. But I did my best to work through it and and got up and walked out into the unknown what kinds of things do you do to, to kind of keep that now that you're here, you know, in, in the future, um, to keep connected to that state of being or just the beingness? I think to be authentic, I have to, I have to be, you know, I have to be coming to that same edge where I was at that time. It doesn't have the same quality, and I'm not trying to replicate that. But for what that mm-hmm. means for me right now, I can't just res- – these – these reflections only have so much potency as they can help me understand who I am right now. And, and in those times that I don't, I turn to nature. You know, as I get older, my energy reserves have diminished and I can't just turn things around, you know, with a single one hour nap like I did when I was much younger. But, through experience, I can, despite being fatigued, I can still go out into nature, allow myself to rest and re- 
charge to the extent that I'm able and find that place of connection within the experience, even if I'm still feeling tired uh, because I haven't been taking care of myself or, or been working too much, which has been the case for uh, at least a decade or more now. Mm. Uh, it's that connection with, with nature. And what does that mean? So for me, that means being fully present when I'm in nature. It could mean, like I was doing two days ago, picking up acorns off the ground. And I'm paying attention to all sorts of things that are happening around me. And finding, you know, exploring with curiosity, being receptive to information that comes in, pausing to listen, paying attention to my breath. Um, I could do that while I'm sitting at the computer, but um, something that I end up have ended up doing way more than I had anticipated as an herbalist uh, sitting in front of the computer. But by going out to nature, the the distracted the distractions are minimal, and the the feedback loop from all the living organisms around me is, is much more potent. So I have you know greater opportunity to bring myself back to life. So my MO basically when I'm out there is finding what inspires me. Occasionally, you know, less so now than, than I had set myself up many years ago to be uh, productive when I was out in nature. I still have things I need to do when I'm out there, gathering herbs and making medicine and so forth, gathering information. But I do make ample time for myself to simply be. And um, if that means that, you know, I'm going to go nestle up in the crook of a walnut tree and take a nap, then I do that. Or, you know, something about that drainage over there, I'm going to go explore. Or what's, what is that about that tree? Just following what, not just my mental curiosities, but I, I, even, I feel for it. Feel for it within, within my heart field, you know, what's calling me. And so I, I try to, to practice that as a means of rejuvenating my connection with, with the world around me, where I believe my inspiration comes from and where my vital force is recharged. That's essential for me. I just kind of wanted to go back to something that you, you had mentioned about not knowing and vulnerability mm -hmm. and letting go of the need to be an authority in something and like how that is playing out for you right now like what does that mean i guess in your process of self-development well and frankly reflection? i've i've begun publicly announcing in my classes um like when i do herb walks plant walks um just a couple of few years ago you know a disclaimer at the beginning of the class you know if you're expecting me to tell you everything there is about these plants out here it's not really the you know the the agenda of this class but really for me to help facilitate an experience for you so that you can begin to have relationship with this place i will cer certainly share information but you know my limited information you know is can only impress upon you so much but if you can open yourself up to what's available and living here, I, I know that, you know, even my information that I share with you will, will re 
retain it more deeply within yourself to the extent that you can relate to the living things out here. So that's um, uh, a semi-articulate way of, of sharing what I've been attempting to do and downplaying, you know, my authority, downplaying my ability to educate people and, and uh, promoting my role as a facilitator for people to develop relationship and to have unique experiences for themselves. And then taking that a step further, inviting people under certain circumstances to, and this can be the really difficult part for a couple of reasons, um, but for people to share their experiences, you know, to articulate verbally what they're experiencing. And it can be difficult because A, people doubt themselves. You know, the, the, the judgmental mind will come in really quickly and say, ah, you're just thinking that because, you know, you read this the other day or whatever. And so there's, um, there's an undermining of our discernment from the beginning. And then, you know, there's the further, there's the other side of discernment in which we can truthfully and authentically, you know, limit false ideas that, that come into our field, you know, and, and really, be able to differentiate a true flow of information from the world around us and the hijacking of that from our stories. Like the story that I was starting to create about this guy being crazy, telling me, you know, who I am and where I come from and what, it, you know, that was, that was real easy one for me to, to hijack because it just, it was a red flag, uh, you know, from where my, where my mind was at the time. But, very slight and subtle things um, we can be afraid of either of what it may reveal from within ourselves um, as as truth and that could be truth that is painful ultimately painful to feel because of you know hurts that we've experienced or painful because it's a recognition like in that case with myself of something powerful deep within ourselves truly powerful not just powerful because it's you know healing of a hurt but it's a it's a it's a capacity an, an inner innate capacity that we have to shine but you know that means being seen and you know many of us are conditioned you know, to, to hide ourselves in that way so you know the the stories can hijack our, our ability to discern ourselves and our ideas uh, very easily very quickly so um, that's something that I'm working with with people as well as I introduce them to plants and and elicit and, and maybe guide through guide them through exercises um, and then soliciting their feedback and then seeking to give authentic reflection back to them from what they're saying or perhaps what they're not saying and within a group you can see patterns emerge because we're all experiencing the same plant and it can show itself in different ways but there can be a common thread uh, through the experience that you know lifts the, the rising tide lifts all the boats so to speak because um, one person can doubt themselves but when they look around them and they see other people having this having a similar experience entirely independently you know that that allays some of that doubt and helps uplift their their um, faith in their own ability to discern things clearly. 
Yeah, I, I experienced that firsthand with you last year um, on one of your plant walks, and I was really blown away because it was a plant that I knew, at least scientifically speaking. And actually, I, it's a plant, I, uh -huh. one of my favorite plants. Um, the quality, I suppose, of um, communication between the plant was different than listening to my own intuition. There was something similar about it, but, you know, it was hard to discern based on like all that I knew. But once people started mm -hmm. talking, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I got a lot of similar information and, and then, yeah, then you reflected mm -hmm. some of that too, which was, it was a really cool experience. Definitely. Which plant was that? That was mugwort. That was my guess. Yeah. Which is, is some is a plant that I, I feel like I have a, a strong connection to and I always look forward to seeing it and you know it's something that I, I mm. harvest on a semi-regular basis now um, but yeah just having that experience mm. was really powerful and now that I think about it you didn't really say much of anything except you know leading us into the space <laughs> and, and like holding the space for us and kind of encouraging us to you know reach out and connect. I try to be as hands off as possible to quietly confront all the doubts hmm. within the group. You know, the more that I interject, it's the easier it is for, I think the, the doubting mind to hijack any little bit of mm. that and say, see, see, he's just, he's just you know, <laughs> planting these ideas in our head. So as little as possible. In fact, as you may recall, I invite people to relinquish any of their pre preconceived ideas about what they may know about this plant just to allow for more space to mm -hmm. invite in new information. Yeah, it's cool. I encourage people to <laughs> do a plant sit if you can. That was really special. Yeah, are there any, if someone was to go out and do that, would there be any prompt that you would suggest? Yeah, so what, what I recommend, really, two, at least a couple of basic things. And our, so our fundamental connection to the earth is through our breath. And... I like to emphasize the exhalation because through the exhalation, we release and then we become receptive. There's a, there's a tendency, I believe, within our culture, uh, generally speaking, to over-accentuate the inhalation and to kind of tighten and grasp at the end of the inhalation. It correlates, in my mind, with this tendency to feel like there's we can't get enough not enough time in a day hard to get enough information get all the information that's available yeah just like you know and it, you know it tidy and what do you hear in somebody's anxiety is like catching you know there's this quick rapid tight inhalations with very little exhalation so i refer to it as taoist breathing where you don't even think about inhaling you just exhale everything out and you hold it out without attempting to inhale and just wait for the inhale to come when it's ready and by practicing that you can almost immediately sense a shift in the energy of the space and taking that a bit further with the mind exhaling down into the earth so you can feel your awareness and your presence move into the earth i believe we did something like this with the astafiate and then from there, the next important thing is, is opening up the heart center because I believe it's our fundamental means of receiving information from the world around us. So by opening up the heart center, what does that mean? Uh, 
I try to tap into whatever degree one can feel that area. There's tissue on the surface and down deeper into the body. Where do you feel tension? And to the point where you feel tension, see if you can you know, step back to that tension and then allow it to soften. Give it permission to soften. And so that's the work throughout the whole process is softening at the heart and then exhaling the awareness down into the earth. And that sets us up, I feel, to be uh, sensitive and receptive. And then from there, um, you can already have the plant in mind, or you could really just begin in this way in a space where you feel comfortable, and then tune in as the heart is truly opening and becoming receptive, you can feel what is calling you. When I'm leading the classes, I set it up for success in the way that we work in a place that is conducive, where there's a good energy there, and there's a plant that I know will work well with everyone. Um, so I see that there is the somewhat rare possibility that someone could just sit down in any old place and open themselves up to a particular plant that calls them, and it doesn't work out that well. Meaning that they could be disrupted by the energy that they receive from that plant in the heart. So. Um, I think one preventative measure there is really getting quieted within oneself. And when you're feeling for what's calling your attention, you sense, you know, how does this feel to me? Do I feel any apprehension from this? Or is there a sense of, uh, there's a welcome sense to this energy? And, and, you know, utilizing one's ability to, to ascertain from, from that position whether it's conducive to go further. But um, it's, a, it's a finer detail, but I, I don't want to set mm -hmm. somebody up for uh, psychic yeah. injury, let's call it, when they might otherwise be able to prevent it. So, um, And then from there, just simply listening and following. Those are the principles, listening and following, and then continuously coming back. Inevitably, uh, a person will go into their own thoughts um, their stories will hijack the experience. And once you realize that, exhale, connect back into the earth, open up your heart, mm -hmm. what's really in front of you. And, you know, this kind of like my, my Tai Chi teacher, he talks about standing meditation. And when he was a young man asking his teacher, how long do you have to do this? You know, thinking, you know, he's impatient and just wants to get it done and wants to, you know, excel at this like he excelled at other more external applications and this teacher said if you do it well one minute and i think that's true if not less than a minute for this type of experience or at least i can say that you know in five seconds you could become full of information that could take many minutes or an hour to really uh, expand and unwind and be sussed out or interpreted it's not a linear progression towards some aha moment it's just your mind it, it really highlights for me it highlights the potency of, of the mind when we really put our minds into something mm -hmm. what is unlocked and so by being fully present with what's right in front of you you can pull out a tremendous amount of information in a second and what I've noticed what I noticed from the beginning of this work is that people can go into it and think okay well, all right uh, Something, some, something comes in 
uh, okay, I'm not ready yet, you know, so they kind of push that aside. It's like shoom, a whole slew of something will come in as soon as they open up their mind, but oh, I'm not, I'm not, okay. All right, now I got to get all, you know, it's like somewhat controlling, you know, and, and not really open to receive just yet. But really, they did get a lot, but they, it was too much mm -hmm. and they just had to push it away, but not realizing that they're pushing it. So I often reference the beat poets. Allen Ginsberg had a quote, said, first thought, best thought. So that was about the writing process where they just just let it flow. And just, uh, a sentence could last a half a page, a whole page. you know. And they don't go back and edit it. It's just as it is. And I believe it's, it's true with, with this work in that to the extent that we're really present and available, that's where our mind's at. Just allow it to come in right there and whatever comes up for the individual it could be images could you know, could be you know sounds feelings uh, sensory impressions throughout the body uh, i think there's really no limit to that it just depends on the individual how they're inclined but being available to that this is all it's all so simple sounds so simple and to me i didn't i didn't even imagine how simple it was many years ago i thought uh, needed complex rituals, ceremonies, medicine man, shaman, particular, you know, plant preparations. And yeah, all those things exist. And um, there's a great legacy there. There's tremendous potency. And whether it's, whether it's an expansion of, of the times that we're in or, or just me coming to a new place of understanding I've seen in the, past several years now, four or five years, that this opportunity is available to anyone that puts their mind in. And such that I've been through it so many times and I look around at people and I reflect to them what I'm experiencing, what I feel we're all experiencing to some extent in the, in the scenario. And, and I can see that they recognize the words that they share or the looks in their eyes that this is not too different from an ayahuasca session, for example, for those that know that. But the main difference is, is that we knew every step along the way that we took. You know, it's like in an ayahuasca session, if you're familiar with that, mm -hmm. and I believe you are, um, maybe some of the listeners will be as well, it'd be like you're shot out of a cannon, or not even a cannon, you don't <laughs> even know what happened. You know, you just compressed and twisted and exploded and you know everything is something else like you've never imagined and to, to even begin to think where am i is like you have to know that <laughs> you are something you know so it's just completely out of context yeah, very disorienting so to be able to take information back from that be grounded in that information and apply it in one's life is very difficult can be very challenging, even after repeated sessions. Yet, I've seen from these types of experiences where people go into it, they have mind-altering, psychotropic experiences, and they come right out of it knowing exactly where they have been, where we have either ingested nothing or we've ingested two to five drops of the tincture that supposedly shouldn't even have any physiological, much of a physiological effect. But because of, I believe, because of the, the presence of our minds 
and the investment of our hearts in this experience were opened up to a whole new world of perceiving. Wow. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Uh, that's that's a profound stuff. And I think also just um, the basis for any meditative practice, you know, it doesn't just have to be with a plant, but it can be with, you know, listening to yourself and, you know, a way of going, going within and, and covering parts of yourself, you know, that maybe that's part of an answer to the earlier question of like, do you need to travel? Do you need to get out of your space to do it? Or, you know, here's another method to, to go within and get those answers within. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't give a, a resounding answer to that question and that everyone has to get out or no one needs to. I think it, it is relative mm -hmm. to the individual. In the case that an individual's surroundings in their particular environment is the greatest obstacle to them, you know, passing through this, this threshold of self-awareness, then, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, by all means, get out of it and make the shift. But in terms of, like, whether to do it with plants or not, it, for me, it's that's where the facility is. I have this relationship with plants, and I know that I can rely upon them to reflect back to us. And uh, after having spent a lot of time meditating just on my own, you know, sitting, standing meditation, um, it's different when you seek to connect with another living entity that arguably has no ego, but is simply present and has the capacity to reflect back to you authentically. You're still with yourself and you still have every, every opportunity to reflect on yourself or to be, you know, spreading your awareness out into the world around you from the center of your being. But there's this added benefit, I would call it, of having this, this reflect. It's, it's not the same as a teacher, <laughs> although it is, you know, definitely a teacher, but not the same as a human teacher to have this reflection this capacity to reflect and come back to you in a way that, you know, it changes things. It changes who you are to the extent that you can open yourself up to it. So it's a unique and different experience from what I would call conventional hmm. meditation. What do you get out of practicing herbalism and the sort of meditative practice with plants on a deeper level over years and years in the same place? Like, how is that enhancing hmm. or changing your life? Like I described it from the beginning, there's a compulsion. There has been a compulsion for me to do do all this work. It's not something that I'm, you know, that I'm bitter about in any way. That I feel like, you know, I wish I could change this, but I just recognize that that, you know, the adversity has been irrelevant to me throughout much of this time. But I just I just do it. So, you know, how to describe that? Uh, I feel it you know, in telling some of the story of what got me started, I feel like that potency there is still part of my being. And when I really get connected, and that usually means you know, me in a wild setting with plants and oftentimes other people present, then there's something that really charges me. I feel like I'm I'm in the flow and I lose track of time. And I see what 
you know, over and over again, I see that what that has done for people. I see how it shifts their being. You know, I've seen people radically change their lives as a consequence of participating in this. And I really just see myself as facilitating an experience for people to become more connected with the earth, to understand what it means to be in relationship with the earth, if you will, to be guardians of the earth. So, you know, for me, it certainly wasn't, I started an herbal business because I had all these herbal preparations that I was making and all these wildcrafted herbs and I had no job or very, very little work. And, uh, you know, I wasn't eating much, you know, and for, unfortunately I got into medicinal plants before foraging. So I wasn't really accumulating much food in my forays into the wilderness. I was accumulating a lot more mm. medicine. So I, I quickly saw that I needed to merge this life way with some sort of business. And this is like 15 years ago, way before there was any sort of model like this around. Of course, way before social media, I uh, didn't have any sort of website, I didn't even have a, I guess I barely, yeah, I had a pay-as-you-go cell phone at the time. I was, um, my work as an herbalist was not centered on the computer hmm. <laughs> as it has hmm. become now, but it was entirely centered. It wasn't even centered on books. It was centered on experiences with plants in the wilderness. And I had to, had to begin shifting that at that time so that I could, you know, organize a business. And really what the business was, was going to the farmer's market and putting on a table these things that I brought back from the wilderness so I could meet with people. And that was fulfilling to the extent that I would make a connection with someone who would recognize what I have or be show in, or show interest in what I had and be willing to listen to what I had to share and you know, be interested in asking me questions and, and perhaps sharing something. I met uh, people who are older than me uh, who knew some of these plants from, from growing up around here and they, you know, reminded them of their childhood that their aunt or uncle or grandfather or grandmother had used this or that herb but i noticed quickly that all these people without exception no longer had this in their lives so there was a distinct break in in this um in this tradition you know, for the generation just ahead of me uh they weren't practicing shortly after that i met Elders, I actually sought out elders in Mexico and started to make these connections. And I saw, you know, that was really helping to keep a tradition alive. This, this information and this, this knowledge that was, there weren't people of my generation or even a bit older who were actively seeking it. In fact, they were in a place to reject mm -hmm. it. Because it was there to accept it, but no one turned to it had rejected it because something better had come along. You know, life had changed, and now they're you know, utilizing pharmaceuticals. So I saw that as a, as a role that I was to fulfill and to bridge this gap. So that really, you know, gave me a lot of energy. And, and um, I saw myself as being of service in that way to the tradition, to the tradition and also uh, to the elders that I was working with. And just by their response, 
the responses to me, uh, I felt like I came to understand and know that I was accepted in that role, and that was that was my role, and it was an important role. So I think that that was a, a really important way that it helps feed me. But um, ultimately, going back to my experiences in the wilderness with people. That's, that's where the greatest payback has been for me, just to be in that flow, to recognize where it really touches people, to see their faces light up. And it's hard for me to remember at this stage, you know, what it was like to go out and not feel connected to it, or, you know, not have a relationship, an already established relationship with plants. Mm. People talk about the green wall. You just go out, and that's all you see is a wall of green in the wilderness. You know, because it just can't differentiate mm-hmm. one thing from the next. I was certainly in that position at one point. Like I said, it's hard for me to even remember it at this time. But uh, to see people, you know, kind of pass through that wall of green and to begin to look around them and see things with completely new eyes. So that has that has certainly been a, a gift to experience that. Hmm. I mean, but you know, I think tying into one thing we spoke mm-hmm. about um, earlier was uh, you asked me about spirituality, and I think I've, without saying the word, I've certainly woven through mm-hmm. that throughout. But uh, but one thing I haven't said, you know, before it became a business for me. This was a spiritual path, as may be evident by how I shared how I got into this. Um, it was it was a spiritual connection that ignited all of it for me. And so, to go into it as a business, I certainly did it clumsily, not by any means from a, a business standpoint. But I recognized that I had to compromise my spirituality to an extent and that I had to at least make space for something else because I was really, I was doing something that was not sustainable for where I was at. You know, I was putting a lot of time and effort into it, but you know, I barely had enough, barely had enough money. Hmm. So I really had to make those compromises and, and that was difficult. That was a very difficult um, compromise to make did so grudgingly because I had been come at the time I didn't really say but I kind of implied by how I gave up everything and went out seeking on this journey um, you know, material things were entirely unimportant to me at that time I was tested for that in, in really severe ways but through fasting and through really letting go of a lot. I had to keep embracing greater depths of that. To the extent that where I felt like I was actually withering away because I wasn't eating very much. But I was I was trying to let go of and empty myself out of what I no longer needed. <clears throat> and what I sought to fill it up with was not material goods, but and not just knowledge of what's this plant good for, but really knowledge of how things interrelate. 
within all of creation from a spiritual understanding. And where do I fit in all of that? Throughout that time, I was consistently asking the question, who am I? Where do I come from? Why am I here? In a way that was really driven and curious, not just, uh, you know, sit back and have a cigarette in the afternoon and ponder it for a few minutes, but it was infused throughout my dreams. Uh, you know, wake up with that thought every day, and it was something I was probing consistently. So it was, I think, the foundations, the underpinnings of a spiritual life that was not, uh, I was not following any particular, uh, certainly any religion or, or set belief system, but finding my way through my own experiences and what life was given. But, you know, going way fast forward at that time, well, before I fast forward, at that time, I really had no connection, as an understatement, no connection to where I came from. And I don't mean just the place I was born, but the families from which I came, to the extent that I actually took up denying who I was. You know, in, in, in its most extreme occurrences, creating other scenarios and telling people, mm -hmm. this is who I am, this is where I come from. There was so much shame in accepting at least who I thought I was and where I came from, that I was my, the best I could come up with was to deny it, hmm. and make up something else. And so that was one place where I was certainly failing in my work is to really be present with what is and work to accept it. So I was running from it. But I, now I can understand much more why I was. And it was a long, circuitous route, but I'd share briefly now that I was in, in being embraced by all of these, uh, these various communities, uh, indigenous communities from the Americas, I gradually pieced together, in some moments more than gradual, it was actually quite emphatic and poignant and, um, you know, prophetic manifestations occurring to where I was now with my family. Hmm. I saw this in dreams, I saw it in visions, and I was coming back home to this very humble dirt floor abode but to be there nourishing ourselves in you know, this heartfelt, warm embrace where we were safe with each other. That was, um, that was a new sense of coming, coming home for me. And it was, in hindsight, I see that it was as if I needed to get to that place of acceptance within myself, even though it had particular conditions within my outside external world. Um, this sort of new scenario that I'd come to know, it was really setting me up to be able to do this internally for myself. That was the trajectory that I could not see at the time. As such that those same uh, ancestral roots that I 
was at pains to you know, deny, refute, and conjure up entirely different stories about. I was coming around now through this very circuitous route to begin to see associations with this new family that I had been embraced by and was embracing with who I actually was descended mm. from. And that started to open up these whole new doors of thought over many, many years that have now come into a much greater embrace of who I am and where I came from. And feeling the power of that and all of that lack that I felt through my travels and seeing these, seeing young men who were, I, it was quite evident to me like they're from this place. This is who they are. They they relate to it. They identify with it. And I felt that lack within myself. I can never, you know, be exactly in that same place because of the the route by which I've come to this. But nonetheless, I can feel this place of home within myself in connection from those from whom I'm, des I'm descended from. It's powerful. And so now I, I feel completely and wholly a part of that and not just an add-on hmm. to a community that has accepted me. That hasn't gone away. That's still there. But now I see more clearly as if, as I've tried to describe earlier, I think, you know, the, the bridge, the gap that they were bridging for mm -hmm. me to come back home that I didn't really understand. I was, I, I didn't really understand that I was on that path. But I believe those who understood it either could not quite articulate it or had the wisdom to not go there yet to allow me to find it on my own. And so that's that's where I'm at today and where I've been at for several years now. I mean, embracing the sadness connected with my own ancestry and going deeper and seeking the healing that needs to be done directly in my own lineage. Wow. I mean, it sounds to me like, uh, you know, that, that how you've responded to this call is not just for you, but, um, it's doing some kind of service for the past as well in, uh, reconnecting and, you know, maybe letting go of some of the anger and actually embracing the sadness of, and, uh, and who you truly are. So it's powerful to hear that. There's a stronger love in the kinship that I feel for my my particular ancestors or you know my relations through these ancestors. That if there, there's in any way that I can feel that connection with them. Hmm. That that to me feels like I feel more, most alive when I can feel that. Like that. Hmm. And if being of service in some way, like going deeply into myself and finding where these, where these roots of, of sadness are or disconnection, if that's working to be of service for them in some way, then I feel like that's the, that's the ultimate payoff for me is to, is to reconnect more deeply, you know, for, 
with those who I had once forsaken because I was so greatly affected by the shame. I wanted to ask you one more thing briefly, which is uh, I'm wondering if there's like a, something that's important to you to teach other people or to your daughter, for example, um, that you've learned along the way. Probably not a short answer. Well, I think she's teaching me more than, than I'm teaching her hmm. sometimes. I have I've recognized that, you know, people are largely disconnected from themselves, you know, who they intrinsically are and are wrought with doubt and fear and anxiety in this world. And um, despite an outward appearance of relaxation or happiness or, or joviality that a lot of people are really inhabiting that space on a regular basis of doubt and fear and anxiety and, and unsure of who they are. And um, not that I can necessarily teach someone about that, but I attempt to cultivate space facilitate experiences that can reflect help facilitate people reflecting back on who they truly are because i believe that our in our like i was sharing earlier when you asked me what do i do to um, find balance for myself um, by bringing people out to nature and facilitating authentic experiences for people in nature in which they can be present with themselves, I can see people rekindling their connection to who they are. And that, to me, feels like the most important thing that I can do. And, you know, whether I inspire someone to be an herbalist or not seems irrelevant to me. But I can take people out and have experiences with plants, and if it brings them to a deeper place of connection with who they are and what they're meant to do, then I feel like that's the most important thing that I want mm. to offer. Cool. All right. Well, I think it's probably a good spot to, to pause and maybe do a part two. Well, thanks. Thanks so much, Jacob, for inviting me on here. I really appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit. Look forward to when we can do it again. Great. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. This one took a lot of reflection and listening before I got clear on what was important here. Even as we spoke, I wasn't quite sure what the key message was. So thanks for bearing with me and bearing witness in my process of getting better at this. Hopefully it's not too distracting. Anyhow, here are a few thoughts before I leave you. One thing John talked about is that people need an example, guidance, from a living human being. I would say that the lived experience is most important. Reading books or taking classes online are helpful, but as John says, there is a lot more information that comes through when you're in the presence of a person or plant or place or group. So to have that guidance and example is incredibly important, and I find that can be essential when you go home and continue to pursue something on your own. John has a lot of experience being a rebel and a skeptic, and by going through his own process of growth and self-reflection, he's become a great teacher because he knows what works for the people who are the most skeptical. Another thing John mentions is encountering indigenous people in his travels as a young person. 
I think it's important not to glorify indigenous people and rush out and take what they have because we don't have it. But what they do have, what they can offer, they are a living example of living in healthy relationship with nature and ourselves. This is a tradition we all come from, but many of us don't have access to through our family anymore. So they can guide us back to the path of integrity and balance and right relation in and with the world. But we all have the same capacity as they do. And I'll also add, learning from indigenous people is not the only way to do that. There are many other ways. John's story seems like perhaps it's not so common and certainly not something we set out for in life. And yet, as he says, his calling was also a compulsion. It is part of who he is. But as you can hear, there's a level of humility and acceptance and embracing of who he is. I have often asked myself, what's my purpose and what am I here to do? But even as I say that, I'm wary of the answer, lest it be too big or too scary, or even that I know about it ahead of time. I'm now in a place where I'm more content to explore what I'm curious about and have a level of interest in pursuing as a way to get to it. And yet, I still have a hunger to know what it is, if there is one. I'll say one more thing about having a calling, mainly that I think it's unusual to find that or even search for it in our society. But I wonder a lot about it. It seems like some of us have specific callings, and other of us could do several similar things that fit our level of interest and skill. I also wonder if all of us even have a calling. I think some of us certainly aren't open to it for one reason or another, or aren't interested, but for some it feels as if it's unavoidable, as in John's case. What do you think? What do you feel called to do? Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. See you next time.